listening to Monday's Law and Gospel on February the 17th in the year of our Lord 2020. And on Mondays, we examine a text for the coming Sunday. And the coming Sunday is the last Sunday in Epiphany, the transfiguration of our Lord. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, only too happy to talk to you. One would think that I would be talking about the transfiguration of our Lord. I might do that in the sermons I'm preaching this Sunday and Thursday night. But there's another passage that's really critical. It's Exodus 24, 8 to 18. And it really helps answer this question that I often pose. What is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? And I dare say the vast majority of people think I'm talking about the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. By the way, there's an easy way to remember how many books are in each. You add up the word old, that's three, and testament, that's nine. You put the two together, and that's how many books are in the Old Testament, 39. For New Testament, you do a similar item. You add up the word new, that's three, Testament is nine, then you multiply it. Three times nine is 27. It's an easy way to remember how many books. But the point I'm going to be making right now is that is not what is meant when the Bible speaks about the Testaments. In fact, verse 8 of Exodus 24 begins, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You really need to understand what Moses is talking about with this idea of covenant, which is another translation for the word testament. In the gospel, Jesus is transfigured before disciples. Moses and Elijah are there talking. And God the Father, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now, though this particular passage of the transfiguration, Matthew 17, doesn't talk about what Moses and Elijah are speaking of, Other passages do, and they're talking about Jesus' exodus from the world through the crucifixion. Now, that's a new covenant. What was the old covenant that Moses is talking about? You really need to go back to the beginning of chapter 24 when animals are being sacrificed, Moses came, and I'm looking at verse 3, and told the people all the words of the Lord and all his rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, 
we will do. That's Old Covenant. It's an agreement between God and man, and man's part is to do the words of the covenant. This is really important because later in the New Testament, it talks about that Moses, he, of course, explained the law and the necessity to obey the law, whereas Jesus came with a message of the gospel. That's why we refer to our program as Law and Gospel, because it's a difference between the two covenants. So let's take a look at Exodus 24, verse 8. And Moses took the blood, and that was from the sacrificed animals, threw it on the people. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, the words, of course, were God's commands and the covenant on the part of the people. We will obey all of this. Of course, it didn't take them long before they had the golden calf. Be that as it may, the New Testament is really the new covenant. And that also is a blood of the covenant, but it's not the blood of animals. Hebrews 10 makes very clear that nobody's sins were forgiven with the shedding of the blood of animals. It had to be the shedding of the blood of a human being. And that's why Christmas is so important. Jesus became incarnate. The second person of the Trinity God took on our sin, took on our flesh. Now, A lot of people don't know about Exodus chapter 24. So let's kind of go on. And after the blood of the covenant was thrown over the people, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. Where did they go up? They went up on the mountain. I often ask this question. How many people had ascended Mount Sinai. And most say, well, Moses. Well, actually, 74 people went up. And what what did they do? Verse 10 is quite interesting. And they saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel? And it really is the word for to see. Now, of course, when Moses was on the mountain, he only saw the backside of God. So how they saw the God of Israel, it could have been a vision. Much like Isaiah had seen in Isaiah, there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. So whatever this vision of the God of Israel was, they were looking on him. And God, verse 11, did not lay his hand 
on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. All right, does this give you a little insight into the second covenant? Remember when it was inaugurated? This is my body. This is my blood. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're eating and drinking with God. So the two covenants are really both covenants that God has made. If you ever really want to have a good understanding of the distinction between the two covenants, uh, take a look at Hebrews, because Hebrews makes it clear that the first covenant couldn't save anybody because people disobeyed their part of the covenant. In fact, it says in Hebrews, the second covenant was far better because it was based on better promises. What promises? There are no promises in the second covenant on the part of human beings. There's no promise, but the promise is always from God. God makes the promise. He fulfills the promise. He is the one who saves us totally. There's nothing in us. We don't have free will to make a choice. God elects the saved and brings to them through the power of the Holy Spirit, not an obedient life, but faith. Very important, that faith, because faith is not belief that Jesus existed or even that he became a human being or died on a cross or rose from the dead. Those are historical events. And of course, we do believe them all because they're in the Bible. But they are not what saves us, namely believing them. There were unbelievers who knew that Jesus died on the cross. They were there. They knew that he had risen from the dead. They paid the soldiers to lie about it. The fact of the matter is, historic faith is not saving faith. Saving faith believes the promises of the gospel connected to the historic faith. In other words, we're not saved because we believe Jesus died on the cross or rose from the dead. We're saved because we believe that when he died on the cross, he paid for our sins. When he did his perfect obedience walking around on earth, we therefore get the robe of his righteousness. When he rose from the dead, we are justified by his sacrifice. So, very important, they're up on the mountain, and the Lord says to Moses, come up on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua, 
And Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a disciple, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, what does that remind you of? Six days and the seventh day. Well, that was the time it took to create the whole universe. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Then there were plants, animals, human beings. And on the seventh day, God rested. Verse 17, Exodus 24. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. You know, that in and of itself is kind of interesting to remember, the number 40. I mean, how many times does that come up in the Bible? There, there are a number of things that are found. For example, in Genesis 7, God says, in seven days I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And except for those in the ark, those were the ones who were saved. And then we have, of course, this Exodus experience that Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. And then in Numbers 13, we have the spies that check out the land. And at the end of the 40 days, they return from spying out the land. And they said, boy, yeah, there's no doubt there's a land flowing with milk and honey. Then we remember, and I'm just picking out verses here, in Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. The word 40, this is very interesting, in the Bible, uh, uh, appears how many times? It appears 80 times. And even in the New Testament, Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. And he was tempted by the devil during those 40 days. 
That's Luke chapter 4, verse 2. And it's found in a number of other places, the, the number 40. So God is in charge. Seven days is important, reminding us of the creation of the world. 40 days is important, reminding us of the years in the wilderness. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, you know what happened to the people. They did not keep their covenant very long at all. They were, where is Moses? And before you know it, they had a golden calf because they were afraid of the mountain. They didn't want God to come down, and they didn't know what they could do. So Exodus 24 is a primary chapter for talking about the inauguration of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament between God and man. And it was an agreement whereby the people agreed to do what? They agreed to follow the commands of God. And they failed. In fact, the book of Hebrews makes clear they failed because of disobedience. That's where the problem is. When you are disobedient against God's word, wow, you have broken that first covenant. And nobody gets saved by being obedient. So God sent his only begotten son into the world. And he did that in order that you might be saved. And Jesus became the high priest who only had to, what? Do one sacrifice. Not many sacrifices like the other priests. In fact, Hebrews 5 verse 1 For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, Jesus replaces those high priests. And therefore, verse 5 of Hebrews, Christ did not exalt himself, to be made a high priest, was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son today, I have begotten you. That's God the Father. And later on, verse 6, Hebrews 5, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, he was a priest in the Old Testament. We hardly know anything about him. We don't know his family. He uh, blesses God's people. So Jesus is the one who, in verse 7, offers up prayers and supplications. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So what does it mean to obey Jesus? When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest work a person can do? He points to faith. He says, to believe in me. And therefore, we teach people in confirmation, adult Bible class, and sermons, what it is. It's impossible to save yourself. So God saved you. Yeah, the book of Hebrews is a wonderful book to kind of read chapters 5 and following to see the distinctions between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And as I said, it's translated Old Testament and New Testament but it doesn't refer to the books of the Bible. In fact, I don't think anywhere Old Covenant or Old Testament refers to those books. But there's no doubt that Jesus is the Savior of a new covenant, which he himself explains. This is my body. This is my blood. In fact, the new covenant really has a huge thing in regard to your forgiveness. In Hebrews, it even quotes Jeremiah. And it says, this is the covenant that I will make. I'm reading Hebrews 8 verse 10. With the house of Israel, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what is really important about it? He says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. That's another word for sins. And I will remember their sins no more. That is critical. What does he mean he will no longer remember your sins? I like giving this example. Uh, two little kids are fighting and the one hits the other. And the one who is hit says, I'm going to remember that. What does he mean? You're going to put it in his mind? No, he's going to get even. But God is going to be merciful. That's, of course, verse 12. And in case you don't, realize that there are two covenants in the Bible. Listen to Hebrews 8, verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, God makes the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, that old covenant was still believed by some of the unbelieving Pharisees. Remember that Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like that tax collector. But then what does he say? Because I fast, I tithe. Now, notice he's talking about ceremonial laws, thinking thereby that by following these ceremonial laws, 
they save themselves. And therefore, they are not like sinners, like a tax collector who is Jewish working for the Romans collecting taxes. So all you need is really Hebrews chapter 8, which quotes Jeremiah, that God will no longer remember your sins. That's the new covenant. And throughout Hebrews, it's really pretty clear that God is going to not save anyone by their works. Well, how are people in the Old Testament book saved? Like Abraham was. They heard the promises of God, which began with Adam and Eve, that he's going to send a Messiah. And Adam and Eve, take a look at chapter 4 of Genesis, they believe that. So what we have are two different covenants, and the Transfiguration Sunday talks about that second covenant. I'm Tom Baker, and on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, the hymn we're going to look at is, O Wondrous Type, O Vision Fair, and we'll get more into the Transfiguration tomorrow. Till then... God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.